Please listen carefully. Hello, and welcome to Caveat Realtor with Virginia Realtors, where we discuss the real issues that Realtors face. I'm Laura Farley. And I'm Aaron Barton. Remember, Caveat Realtor is meant to provide general legal information. Nothing we discuss should be considered as legal representation or legal advice. Hi, Aaron. Hey, Laura. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good, thanks. We are headed into my favorite time of the year. Which is summer? New laws. Or new laws. I'm a total dork. <laughs> I, I was a government and politics major in undergrad. I went to law school and learned all about laws. I love laws. That's probably a good thing for a lawyer. To <laughs> it, it is. Well, I mean, you don't like laws? I love laws. See? It is. It's all about laws. Well, and this year's General Assembly seems to be going on forever, so it is uh, a bonus for you then. Yes, it is. It technically ended on March 10th this year, although we keep having extensions to deal with the budget. Yep. During the regular portion of the General Assembly, there were over 3,700 bills and resolutions introduced. That's a lot. It was. And Virginia Realtors Public Policy Committee took active positions on 80 of those pieces of legislation and actively monitored another 133 for any potential impacts on our members or their clients. Of those action bills, 33 of the 39 bills that we supported passed and are going to become law. And another 15 were amended to remove concerns or were just defeated in the legislative process. And perhaps even more importantly, all 11 of our Virginia Realtors initiatives passed the General Assembly with strong support and were signed by the governor. And all 26 of the bills we opposed were defeated. That's right. So you might be thinking, great, now I need to go learn about all of these new laws. And if you're not Laura, that could seem a little daunting. Right, don't panic. It's okay. We're going to help you out here. We're going to run through the highlights today. And then we had a webinar that was on June 20th, which was recorded and posted on our website that goes into even more depth on each of these bills so that you're going to be ready on July 1st when most of the new laws go into effect. So first, we're going to talk about 54.1-2100, which is the code provision where licensees find most of their licensing, escrow, and agency laws. And there were several significant changes to this code chapter. The first is new language added to 54.1-2101.1, that was a lot of ones, stating that if a party to a real estate transaction requests translation of a real estate document from English into any other language, the licensee may assist them in obtaining a translator or finding a translation service. That assistance will not breach the licensee's duties to his client, and the referral will not make the licensee liable for any potential inaccuracies in the translation. That's right. This legislation was drafted in response to requests from our members who were increasingly working with international clients and wanted to be able to refer those clients to translators without breaching their fiduciary duties to their clients. Or worry about possibly complaints that if they didn't feel comfortable fully explaining a document to a client who may not speak fluently English, they may refer this client to someone else and somebody may claim that they were discriminating. You're not providing services to somebody with a foreign national background. So another important change in 54.1 is to the escrow provision, which is 54.1-2108.2. You keep getting all the code sections. I do. This change was again in response to our members who were reporting difficulties with dispersing escrow funds. And as we've been teaching for some time, there are really only three ways to disperse escrow funds if a transaction falls through and doesn't settle. All parties have to agree to the release in writing, or you can have a court order, 
or you could interplead the funds to the court. And we're not counting the 30-day letter here just because of the risk involved in using it, and we usually don't recommend it. Right. So the good news about this legislation is it's definitely going to help because it's adding a fourth way to legally disperse escrow funds. The broker is going to be able to release the funds to parties to the transaction, whoever is entitled to receive them in accordance with the clear and explicit terms of the contract. All the broker will have to do is send written notice to both parties. So they have to send written notice, but how is this any different than the 30-day letter then? The 30-day letter was requiring brokers to make a legal determination as to who should be getting the escrow money. Send notice to all the parties of that determination, and then wait for a possible objection prior to disbursement. How an objection was defined was really vague, and there were some courts that had said that even one party's silence could be seen as an objection, or refusing to sign a release prior to that 30-day letter could be seen as an objection. So that left brokers back where they started, unable to disperse the escrow funds. And with the new law, the broker doesn't have to make a legal determination because they're dispersing as clearly stated in the contract. So many contracts usually have language stating that a buyer can terminate within three days of receiving a POA disclosure packet and receive their escrow money back, which is required by law. There, the broker could disperse back to the buyer. Note the language says the broker may disperse, but the broker isn't forced to disperse if they're still not comfortable doing so. Right. If that broker still feels uncomfortable making the decision, there's also a provision in the new law that says that the broker can send out a notice to all of the parties prior to disbursement, giving the party who's not going to receive the funds 15 days to provide a written protest about the disbursement. Brokers don't have to do this, but if they're unsure or uncomfortable, then that can give them a little bit of added protection. So the last big change to 54.1 was the TEAMS legislation, and we talked about this in a prior podcast that was dedicated solely to TEAMS, so we'll just touch on it here. The new law defined TEAMS as two or more individuals, one or more of whom is a real estate salesperson or broker, who work together as a unit within the same brokerage firm, represent themselves to the public as working together as one unit, and designate themselves by a fictitious name. So you have to meet all three parts of this definition to be defined as a team under the law. And once it's determined that you are in fact a team, what exactly does that mean, Erin? Well, surprisingly, it doesn't change too much. Most of the changes were just to clarify what teams were already obligated to do. So teams must have a business entity salesperson licensed from DPOR in order to uh, function, sell as a team. Uh, That will effectively mean that the team is functioning as a real estate salesperson and is subject to all the same legal obligations as an individual salesperson. So they're still going to be subject to the broker supervision, the same advertising regs, the license laws, pretty much everything, right? Correct. Now, this law does not go into effect until January 1st, 2019, not this upcoming July like the rest, to give teams and DPOR and brokers time to make sure that everyone has the correct paperwork on file. That's right. But we definitely don't advise waiting until the end of the year to make sure you're compliant. Now is the time to have a discussion with your attorney, your tax advisor, and broker to see what you need to do, if anything, to become compliant with the Real Estate Board licensing requirements. There are a few other changes to 54.1-2100. Woohoo, I got my first citation. <laughs> but since we have limited time here, check out the webinar for the rest of the details. So let's cover some other changes to the laws coming up July 1st. There will be a new cover sheet required on condo and POA packets that provides a short summary of important information contained inside the disclosure package or the resale certificate, unique characteristics of common interest communities, and other items that might affect a prospective purchaser's decision to purchase. 
The hope is that this will simplify and better inform prospective buyers. Keep in mind, though, that if there are discrepancies between what's on the cover sheet and what's in the main body of the packet, the information in the actual packet is controlling. And the law will now state that before an association can charge for that packet or resale certificate, it must meet certain requirements. And one of those is going to be registering with the Common Interest Community Board at DPOR. The hope is that this will allow for better enforcement and management of common interest communities. And just to quickly touch on some changes to property management laws, because that could easily be a class on its own, and in fact it is. Yes, it is. <laughs> the most important change here is that the common law will now mirror the Virginia residential landlord and tenant law in every way. So there's no more common law? Well, effectively, no, because it's exactly the same as the VRLTA. You will still find separate provisions in the code, but this has been a multi-year process, and next year the common law provisions will be removed completely. All right. So let's take it to the legal hotline, Laura. Let's go. Our first question, I have an international investor client who is asking to have documents translated into his native language. Can't I just put the contract into Google Translate? Well, this is definitely not advisable. You want to be the source of the source here, just like we tell you with everything. In order to avoid liability, you do not want to do the actual translation. You can refer the client to a translator, a translation service, or the client can choose to use the internet. The key here is that you now can make the referral without violating your fiduciary duty to the clients. All right, Aaron, I have a transaction that recently fell apart. Both parties are fighting over who defaulted. I think the buyer's correct and deserves the escrow money. Under these new escrow laws, can I release it to him and just send notice to the other party? Probably not here. Uh, if the parties are in disagreement about a potential default, then there's probably not clear and express language in the contract stating who's entitled to the earnest money. All right. For example, if the seller thinks the buyer defaulted by not completing his financing documents on time, this would not entitle the seller to the earnest money deposit. However, if there was clear language in the contract allowing the buyer to terminate and receive his earnest money deposit back in full, such as we see sometimes after an unacceptable home inspection or with the POA termination provision, then this new escrow um, disbursement law would likely apply. Okay. All right, next question. I have had earnest money funds in my escrow account for almost a year. The transaction fell through because the buyer terminated as he was clearly allowed to do in the contract, but the seller has refused to sign the release and allow me to disperse the funds. Does this new law mean that I can now disperse the funds? Well, I'm going to go with the lawyer's favorite answer of it depends. If you are confident that the buyer properly terminated within a contingency period, you could release the funds to the buyer after July 1st with notice to the seller. However, because there's been a dispute over the funds to this point, you're probably going to be safest to get a release or to interplead the funds. All right, Aaron, one more question. I have a team working in my office who are advertising in their team name and do not have a business entity salesperson's license. What do I do? Okay, well, this is actually not a change in the law. Any real estate salesperson, whether an entity or an individual, must advertise and conduct business in their license name. So that is the name on your license at DPOR. For an entity to practice as a salesperson, it must have a business entity salesperson license in the name of the entity on file with DPOR. You should require the team to get that license or stop advertising um, in their team name. And don't forget, as the broker, you have oversight responsibility for all advertising and your team is currently not in compliance. That's true. 
Thank you for joining us. Caveat Realtor is a weekly podcast with episodes released every Tuesday. Our podcast is available for streaming through iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play. Subscribe to our podcast to get automatic updates when we have new episodes and be sure to rate us. Remember, members of Virginia Realtors have access to our legal hotline where we can provide you with legal information. You can access the legal hotline on the Virginia Realtors website under the legal tab on the four members section. Make sure you're logged in to see this page. Although the members of this podcast are attorneys, the legal information in this program is not a substitute for personalized legal advice from an attorney licensed to practice in your jurisdiction. The information provided by Virginia Realtors is a general reference work as a public service and does not constitute solicitation or provision of legal advice. We provide this legal information on an as-is basis. We make no warranty claim liability for damages resulting from its Legal advice must be tailored to specific circumstances of each case, and laws are constantly changing. The information provided in this program should not be used as a substitute for the advice of competent counsel. This has been a production of Virginia Realtors, copyright 2018. This podcast features the song Please Listen Carefully by Jazar, available under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike License.